Hey everyone, it's Christine. Welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. Today we're going back to our roots and talking women's anatomy with April Davis, the host of the Vagina Blog and podcast. She is a person who was a birth attendant, birth photographer, doula, sex educator, and mom of three herself. And she has made it her mission in life to educate women about the subtleties of how their systems work. After speaking with her, I was reminded about the taboo against knowing your female anatomy and how pervasive it is, how much we you know, don't pay much attention to it. Study after study shows that girls 10 to 14 are completely underprepared for menstruation. Um, in states like Massachusetts and Connecticut, we have about seven births for per thousand for girls 15 to 19 in Utah, which is kind of mid-range, about 13 births per thousand. And then in America's Southeast, where the sex education is the worst, births in the 20s, 25 girls per thousand are having a child when they're children themselves. So with all of this, you know, you're sort of wondering, you know, where did this taboo come from? Why does it persist? And why do we have this strange thing where, you know, TV and magazines are showing girls on their period riding horseback in white jeans and, you know, basically living their life with no uh, undercutting of their activity, but yet girls don't know anything. They don't talk about their bodies nearly enough. Why is there still silence across the generations on what to expect? April does a lot to dispel uh, some stories or to add more information on things like what does this color of blood mean? Um, you know, things like that, that you'd think we would learn in a basic health class, but it's not happening. I did decide to go out and get a little education myself on what the legislation is in various states regarding sex education today. So you might be surprised as I was to know that only 29 states actually require sex education, even though more offer it. Um, and that 36 states allow parents to opt out on behalf of their children, which allows this transgenerational uh, miseducation or the lack of education to persist. So if a family is already not informed or has shame or has a bias towards not knowing or abstaining instead of knowing, they can opt their children out and continue that pattern transgenerationally. It's more difficult for the kids to escape. And you know, even I, I learned a new word in the process of doing the interview, which was maturation class, that, that sometimes they don't even call it sex ed. It's really just uh, you're going to get hair and boobs and you might bleed and, you know, for both girls and boys talking about what happens as the body matures, but avoiding all conversations around the human reproductive system. So with that in mind, here's a couple of cherry-picked examples of some of the better language. Um, for example, Maine uh, defines comprehensive family life education from kindergarten to grade 12 regarding human development and sexuality, including education on family planning and STDs that is medically accurate and age appropriate, respects community values and encourages parental communication develops skills in communication, contributes to healthy relationships, promotes responsible behavior, blah, 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 blah. Maine and Iowa for the win on language and also on starting in kindergarten or first grade. 
But many places, it's really only human reproductive system for the avoidance of pregnancy or the avoidance of sexually transmitted diseases. And even in those examples, lowering the teen birth rate, stopping STIs, the arguments are almost always economic. For example, the high cost of treatment or the cost to the state of having a minor parent that doesn't finish school, very rarely, in fact, oh, I didn't see a single example of your health curriculum, your sex education curriculum, teaching enough about the female anatomy that a girl might know all of her parts or a boy might know his, or what they do sexually, or how they contribute to her overall well-being and pleasure. Now, there's another site called The Power to Decide, and it says, you know, what kids really want to know by the time they're in high school, and so many are sexually active, is things around the different types of sex. Like even if they're not having intercourse, many students are trying to bring each other, many young people are trying to bring each other pleasure and they would like more education on that. Um, they'd like to have more education on communicating with their partner so that they feel comfortable. How to talk about um, experimentation. They want to talk about masturbation. They want to talk about sex toys. They want to talk about what is an orgasm. They want to talk about uh, things that are softer, like how do you build up enough trust to ensure that everyone is going to be ready and have a good time? Uh, just simple questions too, like how do you get over body insecurity? Those are the things young people want to know. And we're basically falling short by not educating them. At the end of the talk with April, I did a little reading from an article called Blood Money, and it talks a lot about the history of the movement from women's menstrual blood being a blessing to it being a curse and how that's tied in with religion and how much unwinding we really have to do to get the shame out. So I hope you'll stick around for that if you're feeling academic after listening to April. Uh, so please welcome April Davis to the Rose Woman Pod. Okay, so April, <laughs> okay, how, tell me, you have this thing called the Vagina Blog. You're one of our ambassadors. You've devoted a huge part of your life to telling the world more about a woman's anatomy. Anatomy. How did you get into that? What, what prepared you for that? Why are you doing that? Okay, so... I definitely have always had a natural curiosity for all things human anatomy, especially female anatomy. And I did emergency medicine in college and really it just helped continue to stoke that fire of loving all that. And that was the, my first exposure to childbirth, which fully fascinated me. Um, obviously as an ambulance worker, you kind of have to cover all that because that does happen sometimes. And so I, I just, was super into it. And uh, after, well, I was pregnant with my second child. I really, I, I was crazy obsessed with birth. I wanted to know everything. I had a really great first labor and delivery. All went really well. I just knew I wanted something a little different and I wanted to know more about it. I was reading midwifery textbooks. I was reading everything and anything I could get my hands on about birth. Um, 
and about a year after my second was born I was like I really want to be a doula like that's that's for some reason this whole area this is where I'm supposed to be so I started working for a nurse midwife uh, as her birth assistant I had an unusual set of skills coming from emergency medicine and then also having read so many books on birth and knowing so much about birth and having had two of my own babies and so I started working for her and it was amazing working for her. She was a certified nurse midwife, so we were doing home delivery, but she also worked as the nurse practitioner for Planned Parenthood and took on her own gynecological clients. So I was able to kind of see the GYN side of things along with obstetrics. And I just, I loved it. I loved all of it. Um, I then started taking on my own clients as a doula and then was doing a lot of birth photography. And so I had the opportunity to see birth from so many different angles. I was seeing a lot of home birth. I was seeing a lot of hospital birth with me there as a doula and a lot of hospital birth with me there as a photographer, which is very different than being there as a doula. And so I did this for five years and I just, I cherish that time. But after the birth of my third child, being on call became just a little harder than I could take on. And so I decided to kind of retire for a little bit. And I was like, what do I even do with all of this information? I have all this knowledge and I need, it needs to go somewhere. So that is how the vagina blog was born. I love that story um, about, you know, fall, both the part that is, is the evolutionary nature of that story. Like you started out and you sort of followed the curve of where you were invited and what needed to happen. And you were also following the curve of your own life and being responsive to your actual children and your actual yeah. bearing. Yeah. So I think the part about the photography is really interesting. Um, the photographer always gets to stand in a place where they very quickly disappear. And so often they get to see things that other people don't see. And you get to look very directly at uncomfortable things because the camera is your your mask, I guess, your, I was going to say your beard, but that sounds wrong in this context. Uh, yeah. So, the, so how is that? And what, what did the camera allow you to do that was different than being, you know, in, in as a birth helper? Um, something that, that's really interesting when I was there as a doula, uh, my clients were definitely treated like they had a doula. There was people, the entire medical staff typically explains a lot more asks permission and for consent a little bit more freely when a doula is there and when you're there as a birth photographer you get to just witness things as they would unfold left unprotected and so it really it's it's an interesting experience and one one experience in particular uh that still just kills me um i was someone had hired me she didn't know i was a doula she just hired me for photo and so, and it was right at the very end of her pregnancy. So I didn't even know her very well. So I get there. She's laboring fantastically. We're taking pictures. Things are going great. And she's pushing. And her husband wanted to catch the baby, which is awesome. And so the entire room suddenly had to pause because both her husband and her male doctor needed to get their gowns on. And they went full head to toe as gowned up as you possibly could ever be to the point of it being comical like face shields full plastic everything booties all of it gloves up to their elbows like it was hilarious 
but to have an entire room pause like this and her going okay like i'm i need to push and then going oh no you can't push the men are not dressed up yet let's just wait a minute and this whole room full of like her mom her sisters are there i'm there photographer she's laboring every nurse and there's female NICU staff everyone and here we are waiting for the two men to get their outfits on so that she can have her baby now and it was just such a contrast to what i was growing accustomed to which is birth being this very natural normal life event and i i don't know i mean obviously i know so many people were like dude placenta is gross and i i get it if you think placenta is gross it's fine and like all of that birth goo but to go from <laughs> the home environment where that's kind of embraced to this very sterile over the top we have to wait for the men to get dressed type of thing i was like oh it just was so awful <laughs> in all fairness they might have been you know trying to follow the sanitary protocols that stop a woman from getting infected but i can't well, imagine that they're that like her own husband who's touching her all the time and is part of her no most doctors deliver in scrubs and gloves like even most doctors don't gown up like this it was ridiculous okay i hear that i i also hear you saying though that inherent in this is that uh the doula is somewhat of a patient advocate she's like a buffer between the medical establishment and the mama definitely I think patient advocacy is such a vital role. Like anytime somebody I know is in the hospital, we put together a visitation train, you know, yes. so that there's always somebody there with them who can, you know, do the stuff that the very harried nursing staff is can't do, but also like to make sure that the notes are taken right and yes. it really seems to help. So also well, like, isn't it crazy on the placenta? Like in some cultures, people eat the placenta. Oh, totally. It's, I've seen plenty of people do it. So it happens in our culture too. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. Say that. I did ho I did some home birth. I did a couple of hospital births and some home births and I have to say, like I did not eat the placenta, but I'm a different person. I probably would now. All y'all out there know that I've been getting progressively grosser. No I have two in my freezer. I want to plant trees on them. I need to get around to it because it's time. It's so past time. There's no way they're good anymore, but I like can't get them out of the freezer and throw them away. No, you have to do it. <laughs> I have to do it. <laughs> well, all right. So you do all this and you have all this knowledge and a big, you know, active young family at home and I, your blog and your podcast are, um, you know, they're, they're very affirmative for women and super informative. I was looking at some of your material and even some of the taxonomies you share, like how to understand what the color of your blood means or mm -hmm. how to understand what the mucus in your, of your discharge means, uh, very simply presented in like line drawings and with sample colors and things like that in a, in a reference chart. I have to say, I've never seen that anywhere else, not in any doctor's office or handbook. So d tell me how you come up with those materials and and what you're hoping to do with that. That's, that's what frustrates me. I just feel like this should have been a course in junior high. Like, why are we not covering the entire menstrual cycle when we learn about the menstrual cycle? I, there's no harm. It, it's so empowering, the understanding of what's going on with our body. Um, at one book that I is just like my favorite to recommend to everyone is Taking Charge of Your Fertility. And it, 
it's it's just the best. It reads so easily. It's very similar style. Very direct, super simple, easy to understand. Um, and she just teaches like how to monitor your cervical mucus, why it changes, how it changes, what that looks like, what that feels like, how to like everything about it. And it's so straightforward and easy uh, to the point where like when my girls turn 14, I'm giving them that book and saying, here, read this, have a better understanding of your body. And it, you know, same with your, our menstrual fluid. We don't talk enough. Like I have PCOS. I read all the time that I'll have, I'll have heavier bleeding because of PCOS or I'll have anovulatory cycles because of PCOS, which can cause like an eggplant purple color because it's heavier and older blood. Right. But no one ever lays out a chart saying like purple blood, PCOS, right? Red blood, probably healthy. This color, you know, why not compile all this information into these easily consumable snippets? I think you, you also said something to the effect that uh, menstruation isn't about like just your period. It mm-hmm. is about how it, it, ne- it impl- impacts your energy cycle throughout the entire month. And that menstruation and men- really defines your life as a woman. And I think that was such an interesting idea that you can't be separate from your biology and it's always at work. Can you say more about that? Oh, I have an entire presentation about this because I love it so, so, so much. Um, We, and once again, when we're presenting this information in the first place, if we're lucky enough to have someone teach us about this, they're like, oh, and you're going to bleed once a month for a couple of days and it sucks. And that's it. You know, like we don't get this full explanation of what else is going on with our bodies. And the reality is we really do have superpowers, if you will, throughout each phase of our cycle. So we, we have, you know, I, I always refer to when we're menstruating as our winter because it's winter in every way. But then we go into spring. We have our follicular phase, right? Then we ovulate. That's our summer. And then we go from our summer into our luteal phase. That's fall. That's when we're preparing for winter. That's when we start to want to hibernate. And you'll find that you'll, your energy changes throughout each phase. And what, like, if you're going to go have your picture taken or give a presentation, do that when you're ovulating. You'll feel so good about it. You'll feel sexy. You'll look sexy. Your skin's bright. Like, it's, you're a totally different person ovulating than you are menstruating. Why not just embrace that and then start to schedule our lives around it? You know, that follicular phase, that's when you need to clean out your garage. You don't want to be doing that while you're on your period. You don't want to be doing anything on your period usually. Typically, you want to be like laying in bed or resting or kind of, you know, that's some time for some turning in and some self-care and some hibernating and maybe thinking through how you want to clean out the garage. And then when we head into our follicular phase, we get that energy boost. But I think as women, we walk around all the time going like, I don't feel good and I don't know why, or I'm just super tired right now and I can't pull out of it. And this happens every month about this time. Well, it might be that you get super tired with your luteal phase and that's normal. Do you know if some of the period trackers are using this energetic match? Yes, they are. Which one do you use? I, they kind of are not so much the, the energetic portion of it, maybe a little bit. Um, I am playing with a whole bunch of them because <laughs> I'm the vagina bog, but of you view, I've just been with forever. It's kind of fun to flip back on that one. Cause I have like my pregnancies logged in that one. Like that one's been around for a while. Um, I also love clue and flow. I think both of them put a lot of effort into trying to educate, but 
what's great nowadays too with trackers, if you have a fitness tracker, they're starting to incorporate like tracking menstruation because they're realizing that especially with fitness, you should be working out differently depending on where you're at in your cycle. And if you link those things together, you'll actually succeed better than if you don't. I'm, I'm using the ring. The, oh yeah, okay. It has the sensors in it. And it tells me about sleep and activity and heart rate and all that stuff, but it doesn't awesome. have anything like that yet. You can do a tag, like you can go yeah. in and insert a tag, but you can't, you know, it's not a programmatic. Uh, I, I'm interested on, do you also change your diet? You can, I go with more intuitive and it's interesting because I would say that there's kind of, there's the layout of like what's typical, right? And typically you want to eat lighter foods when you're in your follicular phase and ovulating. That reigns true for me. Like that is, that works. And then when I'm heading into luteal phase and menstruating, I typically want heavier, more iron heavy warming foods. And that so that's, that's kind of how I end up eating. Cause that's what sounds good. I'm starting into seed cycling too, which is also so fascinating. Well, first I want to go back to the, the, it's all, what you just said mirrors Ayurvedic diet. Very much so. Over the mm -hmm. course of the year. That's so interesting. Can you just say again, for everybody who's hearing it for the first time, what are these four phases? So we start, if you want to start with your period, that would be your menstrual phase. That's our moon time, right? So it's menstrual. And then we go from that into our follicular spring, um, uh, ovulating summer, and then our luteal phase, which is our autumn or fall. And they're each about a week. So it's just divided even. And, and the follicular phase is what's happening in your body is your, your uh, egg is ripening. Yes. And it's, and it's emerging and, and then releasing. The yeah. It's, it's releasing, it's heading down. And then obviously when you're ovulating, that egg is being released. Right. And then the luteal phase is that time where it realizes that it has not been fertilized and it's very sad about it. And that's also when you get that nasty crash of hormones. So you have this big, huge, and that's when you start to like, who even am I? Do I really like my husband? Why did I have children? what am I doing with my life? Like you start to kind of go through all these hard questions. It's also a time of like being maybe overly emotional about things that you wouldn't necessarily always be emotional about, but you are right now because you're in your luteal phase. <laughs> so that's right before your period begins. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. Like your body's like, damn it. I'm not having a baby. When? Yes, exactly. Don't, don't need all these feel good hormones that will make me want to have sex with somebody. Exactly. Crash. Crash. <laughs> yep. I mean, that, that, does, that does imply. So one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, I've, this is my sixth business, I think, that the Rosebud business. And I learned early on that I couldn't run a company and run my family the way I wanted, that I needed to work from like six to eight in the morning and from 10 to two and from six to 10 in the evening. But that, you know, like I, I had to, I wanted to be leveraging my skills, but I didn't want to abandon my beautiful babies. So yes. that got me into entrepreneurship. And at that time, I could never have even considered not fitting into a man's linear schedule yep. or yep. monthly monthly plan and, yep. and saying that I wanted to ride the waves of my cycle and structure the business's requirements for the month that way. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was it was like you'll 
never get promoted if you say that. And I think it's still that way in a lot of corporate environments. But could you imagine a structure of work and home life that actually honored these cycles? I can. And I've talked to people who do it in their businesses. It's incredible. Like, so what spurned so much of this for me too, the United States women's soccer team recently, which is so crazy that this is recently, but recently started looking at the players' menstrual cycles and saying, how can we maybe adjust your training, your sleep, your caffeine intake, your all these other things with your menstrual cycle? They did that and they won the World Cup. <laughs> like it oh. works you guys <laughs> I want I want to know more about that yeah it's it's so interesting the and I'm glad you brought up the linear patterns of of because really we live in a very patriarchal society it caters to a masculine and male body it just does in every way and it shows up in every way of course we don't have maternity leave of course we're not honoring and taking care of women we live in a very male-centric society and i'm just you know i'm at the point where i'm like we don't we don't have to put up with this anymore let's start shifting things let's start fixing things because you know what if you start to cater to our needs there's a lot more naps and resting and working when you are like there and resting when you need to be how fantastic of a society would that be? Why did we ever let them take over? <laughs> I heard an interesting theory on that the other day, and that when you have a society that trusts nature, then you have a matriarchy or an equanimous society. And yes. the patriarchy was born um, out of the ice age when nature turned on us. Mm. And that, 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 that patriarchy came at a time when it was about protection and hunting and like really trying to live in a time of scarcity where people were fighting a lot and mm -hmm. that it, it was useful when it arose um, and it outgrew its usefulness that they didn't want to outgrow the structure where there was all the power. And that was a very big movement for me that um, everything that happens under the sun has a purpose in consciousness. Uh, and, and so you know, we're shifting back. I do believe that even in the last five years, you're seeing a massive uh, global shift towards uh, include, including what I would say the receptive or the natural. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Well, that's, and that's what frustrates me. It's not that masculinity is bad or wrong. It just isn't. That's not the framework that we should be trying to shove ourselves into. That's all, you know, so that completely makes sense. Of course, that's the shift that needed to happen. Yeah, I mean, my, my yoga teaching tells me that you are 50% your mother and 50% your father. You're a perfect blend. Each individual, each man is a perfect blend, half his mother. And that just because you come out with a penis or not, um, doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you've lost all of that inherited uh, balance that, that is you. And that if you can have receptivity and strength in equal measure, no matter what kind of genitalia you have, you have a, a better chance of living a happy life. And so the counter movement to women becoming, uh, being honored for the cycles and their way of being in the world is, uh, is that men also get to accept that part of themselves. So I'm super excited about that movement, actually. Yeah, same. Love it. And then I can also be a badass. Rawr. And have that part of me, you know, 
You must still though be, uh, you're interviewing a lot of people and you must lear be learning all the time. Is there stuff that you've learned in the last year that surprised you that you think people don't know about? I am constantly learning more and more just about products on the market, which has been really fun. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed it and I really enjoy sharing that with people. Like I, I love showing them like there's a better way. There's a better way to do this. There's a uh, all the alternative period products that are coming out to help with the menstrual cycle and menstruating. And we're just so far beyond tampons now and disposable pads. And it just makes me so happy that things, these things are becoming more normal and being embraced. And because it's so much better for your body, it's better for the earth. Like it's the best. So like, there's all that. I'm also loving, I feel like 15 years ago when sex toys kind of came into my orbit they were all shaped like penises and that was a lot of what you could find and it is so fun to look at sex toys now and the variety that exists but i really think we're starting to see more and more women involved in that market and so they're looking less and less and less like giant penises and more and more like all sorts of other fun things new stimulation is is kind of coming to the forefront like suction stimulators, vacuum vibrators, all the other type of stuff that didn't exist. And like, so the, the innovation happening in the sex toy industry has been so fun to watch. I want to go back to the period products. I was so excited also because of the bleaching and all of the chemicals that women were putting in their body and how that was impacting their hormonal cycles. Uh, so are you using the cup or do you use a similar product like that? Or what are you liking? Okay, my absolute favorite. I love discs. They sit a little bit higher up in the fornix around the cervix, and so they're not in the vaginal canal. I love cups too. Like, so I've used plenty of cups, but I'm a disc person. Like, if I'm picking my favorites, and um, if I'm going to use something internal, and then I love period panties. Like, I just thinks are like my go to. I typically only wear those. I'm really only using internal stuff if it's needed, like if I'm going swimming or something. But I am so into period panties. Like, they're the best. Well, I think there are people who don't even know what that is. They're just still following yeah. their pads and stuff. So what's a, what is a period panty? That's Mickey Eggerwall, right? The yes, founder? initially. Not anymore. She's, she's sold the company. But yes, initially it was her. And so tell me, she invented this category, basically. Yes. Like and what, what, what are they? Tell people what they are. Okay, so period panties are underwear they're just underwear that you just wear and you just bleed into them they're amazing they're absorbent and they so thinks uh is the company that mickey came up with and so she uh created this waterproof it's it has a couple different layers but they're a lot thinner than you would think they would be most people immediately picture like uh potty training underwear i think that's the really thick stuff and thinks like the standard ones are pretty thin underwear if you were wearing them people would never know that you were wearing period underwear i'm so excited to buy these for my girls when they start menstruating because it'll be so easy and convenient for them and no one would be the wiser like no one would know if they saw them in their undies and so um i love them but they, and then they you just and then you just wash them and then you just wash them i just i after i, I wear mine for like maybe eight hours uh, some days maybe 10, you take them off, you rinse them in your sink, throw them over the shower curtain. And then when you do laundry, you just wash them. And then I hang them to dry 
but that's I do that most people do that with most of their underwear anyway so it's not even extra laundry really for me like I'm obsessed they're the best so the outer coating is something like the equivalent of a swim diaper but really fine like it's waterproof it's it doesn't like, leak well and they have cotton ones that are the outer is even cotton and so and they're not plasticky it's the the technology coming out is incredible it sounds a little bit like what native people used to do with skins and things like that very interesting um okay and then the disc in the cup you talked about uh what other period stuff have, uh there's a lot of cbd coming out now for periods oh. and cramping and all that stuff where do you stand on that like a love 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 um Faraya and toka are probably my two favorite brands right now of cbd lube um i had the opportunity to interview uh anna louise burdett from toka over on my podcast and if you ever wanted to listen to something talking about cbd from someone who just knows her stuff that is the best interview I think there's so much misinformation out there right now about CBD. Everyone's really interested in it, but they don't know where to get it or who to trust or what to trust or what questions to ask or how to use it. She covers all of that. And it's, she's just amazing. Um, I actually had a really great experience with CBD. After the delivery of my third, I had a skin split up right next to my clitoris. It wasn't a tear, so it wasn't an open wound, but my skin had like stretched past its limit and I just could not get it to heal. And so I started using CBD oil on it and CBD lube and so immediate improvement. And I really feel like the healing that took place and how quickly it healed and how well it healed is because of the CBD I was using. That's wonderful to hear. I've also seen um, Go Love CBD, which is water-based. Yes. So there's no silicon and there's no um, petroleum mm -hmm. products, which I oh, think yeah. is great. Coco New just came out with a CBD too, and I their lube is fantastic as well. So we've got period stuff, sex toys, lube, a lot of the stuff around periods and sex. What about for new mamas? Well, let's cover too, like feminine hygiene. Something that's been really exciting is there's been companies like Rosebud coming out who actually cares about the products that like the stuff that they're putting in their products. You like, yeah. I love that we're seeing more and more companies like, oh, maybe we shouldn't put all that crap in, in people's vaginas and on their vulvas. Maybe we should actually like provide them with, you know, safe, body safe materials. <laughs> I it, we're recording this on September 22nd and today a movie came out called Kiss the Ground which if you haven't seen it uh, it's a new documentary it's out on Netflix um, and it really talks about soil depletion desertification dust bowls climate change but the whole first 20 minutes is like Giselle Bunchin and Woody Harrelson and Tom Brady talking about the fact that, you know, you don't have any nutrition in your food and it's all covered in pesticides and laying out the history of pesticides and what it does to the human body. And mm -hmm. the fact that the vaginal canal and the vulva are 10x more permeable than any other skin on the human body. They're just, they just, they're just drinking they just, everything you put in there. Just sucking it right up. Why would you yep. put anything in there that is not 100% nourishing? And it's also an interesting transdermal delivery for just general adaptogenics. It goes in so much faster. So yep. I'm loving it very much. And so I'm committed to plant stuff. I'm committed to stuff that's really as pure as you can get. 
and we'll see. You know, we have we have a lot. I really love it. But that's coming yeah. out of a long evolution in my own understanding of what inputs are good for the body. And I'm getting good. a little cra crazier as I get older. I'm like, you know, good. raw and vegan and, ugh, you know, boring. Like no more, no more golden grams in, in, in half and half for breakfast around here, which is what I yep. think I ate for like decades. <laughs> <laughs> but we're, so, I mean, really... Thank you. We're so grateful for people who are starting to look out for vulvas and vaginas and realizing how absorbent that tissue is and how dangerous it is to be putting products on your body and in your body that are not body safe. Yeah, I do believe that that's because it was all taboo, not talked about, not understood. And a lot of the people who run those companies um, know the need is there, but they don't really want to know, the, like you said in the beginning, they don't want the placenta to explode on their shoes. So, uh, yeah. you know, you have that combo. But I, I do want to go, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about uh, our products are great and all of that stuff, but they have a much larger mission, which I think you and I share, which is to bring honor and reverence and awareness to this part of the body and to encourage women to touch them, touch themselves, you know, yes. and feel it, know the sensations that feel good to them. So in addition to healing, I'm really about integrating your whole body. I think you had another thing on your site with something like to-do list, masturbate, and that was mm -hmm. it. <laughs> so talk a little bit about that, please, like women women's relationship to knowing, understanding, feeling their own bodies and pleasure with themselves and with another. Mm -hmm. I am just such an advocate for having a full understanding of your entire anatomy. Like I, I wish and want everyone to know where their cervix is, to know where their clitoris is, to know how that works, to know what it all feels like when it's aroused versus when it's not. Uh, we're really missing out on getting to know ourselves in that way. And I, I just cannot advocate enough for taking the time to do mm. that. Mm. You said, I think that the most important sexual relationship that a woman has is with herself first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That shifts throughout your whole that. life too. Yes. Find it now. I, I think one of the most heartbreaking things is when I have someone message me and say, I'm, you know, 50 years old and I just finally really now understand where my clitoris is, or I just bought my first sex toy and we tried this and I've never experienced this before. I, the younger I can get to them, the better. I just want everyone to know, like, we just, this body is like such a gift you know, why not explore and love it in the best way possible? Yeah, there are a lot of reasons. Religion, shame, transgenerational trauma. We can go into that forever. But I really yeah. like this idea that it's an ex it is such a gift. Um, learn how to touch yourself. Play. Enjoy yeah. it. The entire, the entire impetus of the world is created out of the joy of existence. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no tree is being born because it wants to go to war with another tree like you, you're okay so are you you're sort of a what it sounds to me is like you're kind of a walking wikipedia you're like a vaginapedia if anybody has any questions about anything related to the pelvic basin the the golden triangle at the base of the body uh they can they can come to you can they hire you as a 
consultant or how do you working? How are you working? You know, I've, I've actually never, I haven't taken that step into doing any sort of consulting, mostly because so much of our ailments really should be seen by a medical professional. And so I, I feel like I am the doula for all the vaginas because a good doula typically will turn you back to your care provider with better questions to ask next time. Ah, and I yeah. feel like that's all I do all day, every day in my DMs. I get people asking about everything you can imagine. And half of my responses are, go ask your care provider about this, this, and this. Go have them run this test. Go try this. Go sit down with your partner and talk to them about these topics, you know? So you're like a, doing the same job you did as a doula in the hospital, basically so so. being a protector and a go-between and a guide for how to interact with the existing systems they're part of. Yeah. Like a V doula, both virtual and vagina. That's a very good way to put that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, everybody, this lovely person who's talking to me from her closet with her shiny brown hair, which I never would have known had our other <laughs> video or other audio thing not failed, um, mm. has something called the Vagina Blog, and it's got a podcast that goes with it. And I'm going to put all kinds of things in the show notes where you can find her and the product she recommends and the uh, topics that uh, she's recorded uh, episodes for that she's discussed. And I hope you follow her on Instagram. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to that episode of the Rose Woman Pod. So I'm going to read to you an excerpt from a thesis paper called Blood Money, The Commodification of Menstrual Education in the United States by Megan Radosevich. It's about five years old, but a lot of it is the same um, today. Not a lot has changed. And one of the things that she talks about is the history of menstrual education. And she really dives deep in her paper into when things started going sideways for women. And she goes all the way back to Eve. I'm going to read this part for you. In Eve's fall, we all sinned. The earliest occurrence of shaming of both females and female biology occurs within Western culture's dominant religion of Christianity. The fall of Eve allowed for shame-based rhetoric to surround issues of menstruation and pregnancy. While Eve's biblical curse was specifically pain in childbirth, which by the way, aside, not from the paper, is calls from big brains and small pelvises uh, and our brains getting bigger over time. Um, early Christian leaders, back to the paper, early Christian leaders were quick to associate menstruation with Eve's disobedience, allowing her action to be used as a vehicle to blame and shame women for all that was believed to be evil in the world. Author Glenda Lewin Huffnagel describes how the influx of the patriarchal religion of Christianity replaced matriarchal worship of mother goddesses reshaping attitudes towards menstruation. Huffnagel writes, women's menstrual blood, which had previously been viewed as a source of power, was converted to a symbol of pollution. Religion defined menstruation as a curse, and this is a reversal of the previously held belief that menstrual blood was a blessing and a woman's friend. 
she goes on in this paper to talk about Pope Gregory basically saying that women should refrain from receiving communion on their period um, into the 1300s, where theologians deemed intercourse with a menstruating woman as a mortal sin, which is the highest and most serious form of a sin, further in reinforcing the belief that menstrual blood was impure or dangerous, and the ongoing shaming about menstruation that proceeded all the way up until now, and as women internalize the shame, their silence continues. Author Laura Friedenfelds describes female relationships and 18th century fears in her book, The Modern Period, stating, while there is strong evidence in the female community in which women shared intimate knowledge of the body with each other, women's secrets were not shared with unmarried women. The need for secrecy and assumed modesty within the female community restricted information available to premenarchal females, to girls who hadn't yet had their periods. The perception of premenarchal innocence can also be assumed, as girls who had yet to experience menstruation were viewed as pure by menstruating women who had already internalized the shame attributed to menses. So menstruating women themselves protected and shielded young girls from any conversations about the female body to preserve this innocence. So she's then continuing on to talk about Victorian girls who, in the Victorian era, uh, girls wished to remain pure and innocent until marriage, but they couldn't get married until they were menstruating. But the day they reached Menarche, they were presumed to have a loss of innocence. This complex paradox of innocence centralized around menstruation placed a lot of girls in an information void, and it still does today. Most often, prepubescent females were not told anything about menstruation until they experienced it themselves. The lack of education or conversation between pre- and post-menarchal females not only allowed for traumatizing menarchal experience, but also aided in the perpetuation of menstrual shame within the female community. This is a 90-page paper. I'm going to put the link in. It's very comprehensive in its raising of questions of how do we talk about it better? You know, why haven't we been able to talk about it and how do we talk about it better? Which is part of what this pod is about, but I would really encourage you to go and read either this paper or some of these other books that I'll link to and let's try to be the change and give our daughters and ourselves the permission to talk about everything related to our bodies without fear. Okay, join me next time when we're going to talk about creativity and freedom uh, on the Rose Woman Pod. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can Find our amazing products at rosewoman.com. Vegan, plant-based, pure, effective, all the good stuff. The guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world? So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. 
Have a wonderful day, no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent. <laughs>